Thanks for tuning in to Hungry Minds, a podcast about the power of curiosity, questions, and dwelling in possibility. My name is Aran Levasseur, and the conversations on this show are driven by my curiosity and questions, and my aim is to talk with people that are actively feeding their hungry minds, whether they be artists, professors, filmmakers, activists, or students. My conversation today is with Van Klein, a senior at San Domenico School. We're going to be talking about artificial intelligence. This podcast is a project for one of his classes, Project Wayfinder, which is a purpose learning curriculum. Purpose can be defined as goals that are meaningful to the self and consequential to the world. And Van really does a great job at conveying why uh, artificial intelligence is of tremendous consequence to our world. Uh, So without further shenanigans, I bring you Van Klein. Van, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. And so this is going to be a really, I think, engaging and important conversation. This is actually a project that you're doing for Project Wayfinder, kind of Mm -hmm. a purpose-driven project. It's about AI or artificial intelligence. And this is a topic that is not only intriguing, but it's something that I think is quite vital for all of us to understand. Definitely. And often uh, it can get marred in technical details, or it seems it's not quite relevant, so... I think you're going to help explain to all of us why AI, well, first of all, what it is, but why it's important for us to yeah. be aware That's of artificial intelligence. <laughs> Excellent. So, so, so this is kind of brass tacks. First of all, what is AI? Well, AI is, is a sort of a general term to describe any process that allows a machine to sort of learn uh, about the world or about doing a task. Um, so it's sort of this general category of of things, and we've had many different kinds of AI over the years. Um, for example, um, a long long time ago, um, chess AIs, right, were thought to be the holy grail. Right. Uh, and but over the years, as pr- computing progressed, we were able to brute force through right. the different uh, possibilities in chess. Right. Um, and, but that really wasn't like learning. That was more of just sort of having this expanded capacity. Whereas more recent AI are really uh, almost mimicking the architecture of the brain. Um, uh, and by with these networks. Yeah. And through that are being able to learn more and more sophisticated things. Right. And just, I thought you had brought up a good point, and this was definitely an important threshold uh, in AI uh, in terms of Gary Kasparov losing to Deep Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this was in the 90s, uh, yes. if I'm not mistaken, so it seems like uh, an epoch ago. <laughs> uh, but I think, as you were saying, um, it was just this brute force calculation. So it, was, it, it, it wasn't machine learning. It, it was basically trying to program Deep Blue with all of um, kind of chess knowledge and history, and then it would yes. just kind of brute force calculate what the right move was mm-hmm. in a way faster than a chess champion like Kasparov could do. And one of the things I remember that I think Kasparov saying right before he was maybe going to lose, he realized that, that he said there was something eerie about it, felt like there was a kind of intelligence uh, mm-hmm. at work. Now, whether that is the case or not, 
it's just an interesting anecdote, and this is from the 90s, where we've progressed so, so much further. So you were mentioning that now uh, AI is moving a bit beyond just sort of brute force calculation, uh, although I'm sure it has some of those capacities, but it's really trying to be much more adaptive. So, like, can you give the example of Go, which mm -hmm. I guess is even a more complex game than chess? And, that, and there was a, another particular hurdle that was just... Uh, overcome and mm -hmm. so what happened with that yeah so deep blue um exactly mm -hmm. what you like you said um was ca was calculating and looking at fifty thousand moves okay um every microsecond or every um hundredth of a second whereas gary kasparov was looking at maybe five moves per second yeah right, right? at max <laughs> right so uh, comparing the two yeah. is almost like it's it's almost yeah. uh, it, not idiotic, but like it's it's not yeah. a good comparison, right? Of intelligence. Yeah, the order of magnitude is so vastly it's different. So vastly different, <laughs> and the the deep blue was a very very dumb intelligence. Yeah. Whereas Kerry Gasparov was a highly intelligent, highly capable, but slower. Right. Right. In the process. And that, that's the main drawback of being human. We're not as fast as computers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And the problem with Go is that when they tried to do that on Go, yeah. chess is an 8x8 eight eight board, mm -hmm. right? And there are 16 pieces on each side, and so there's only a limited number of things you can do. Right. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, right. A relatively limited. Go is a 19 by 19 board, okay. so vastly larger, and that exponentially makes the possibilities grow, and it's impossible virtually yeah. with our current technology to brute force search through every single possible right. move in a reasonable amount of time. It would take a thousand years right. to brute force that for every move, right? Yeah. And we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to develop something better. And so um, this was actually by uh, uh, Google's DeepMind, mm -hmm. um, is one of the AI research um, companies, made an algorithm called AlphaGo. Yeah. Um, now this was their, their first real um, attempt to utilize um, artificial intelligence, machine learning in, the, in um, a game like in against a human player and succeeding in the past there there were attempts at using chess or other games but by using um this deep minds alphago uh they were able to beat some high very high level players um with this thing and that was all the way back in 2015 right um and then they kept keep kept on developing it 2017 AlphaGo Master, which was the new version of it, um, beat the world's number one player. Um, and then the, a new year later, AlphaGo Zero, which was the new and improved and more general, because mm -hmm. uh, they're trying to, because what DeepMind's really doing is they're trying to use these games as a playground for their AI to learn. Right. So they're trying to develop a general intelligence, but we, we're not there yet, so by using these increasingly complex games and increasingly broad strategies to attack the games, yeah. we're trying to learn how to design a computer system 
that can right. learn how to do it. And so, yeah, in 2018, alpha goes zero, um, beat um, the previous version 100 games to zero. Wow. So, and the previous version, which had beaten the world's number one player. Yeah. And at this point, it is clear that the, the, the artificial intelligence are vastly superior at Go than right. any, any human could possibly be. And I think an important distinction, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, between, say, uh, Deep Blue, the IBM program that beat Gary Kasparov, and uh, AlphaZero, AlphaGo, that uh, is beating not only programs but the world's best, is that uh, with uh, AlphaZero, AlphaGo, whatever the, the latest one is, is it doesn't come in, as you were mentioning, with this brute force calculation. It's actually learned how to play. It's figured out an algorithm to learn how, how to learn, mm-hmm. right? Is that, and, I, and my understanding is I don't have the exact numbers, but in a relatively, in a matter of minutes, it's, it figures out how to master the game. Is that accurate? Or even hours? There's, there's a short window of time where it essentially becomes an expert. Is right. that is that accurate? Yes. So Unlike the old program where it just has this data bank mm-hmm. uh, that it's able to number crunch, this one is actually learning. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. So we're going to get a little bit into the weeds okay, uh, with, with, with that question. We'll but, go. Uh, we'll, we'll go. go. Yeah, just, cool. just a little bit. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so, yes, well, you're, you're correct. And... But the way it works is that, um, so AI, right, uh, need to learn, right? So they, an AI is a structure that, or machine learning yeah. AI, um, we build a structure yeah. that of nodes and connections between them that has an input and an output. And at first, when we first make it, there's no information within that structure. It's just the structure. And then we feed training data into the front and check the output with the answer from our training data. Right. And then if it's the same, then we say, good job. If it's different, then we say, it's bad job, fix yourself. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of complex math that goes on, but that's basically (laughs) what happens. Right. Um, and through that process, we, we, um, it learns the answers to the training data, right? right? Into, into this network, right? This, and this sort of black box network. We don't know what's going on inside, but we know that the answers that it gives based on the inputs are getting more and more like the correct outputs. Right. 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 And hence the idea that it's learning. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Um, but that, and that, that's how it worked for a long time. Um, but that process is actually very difficult for more and more complex things because, um, as like with chess, for example, we can know that a move is better. One move is better than a different move. If you like gain or lose a piece, something like that. But go is much less, uh, discreet and the world is even less discreet than go. Right. right? So it's very difficult to determine which state is better than another state. For sure. Um, and, but, and even if we could, a human would have to sit there determining all these things yeah. and the amount of data required to train these algorithms is so vast that it would take an absurdly long amount of time for humans to generate all that data. Right. So, um, AlphaGo zero, what that zero means is that there is zero human data. 
hmm. used in the training process. So it, it, what AlphaZero does is it, it is presented with the game Go with no knowledge hmm. and then starts making random moves. And it plays against itself. And when it wins, it says, okay, good job me. Yeah. And when it loses, it says, okay, I need to fix something. Right. And through that process of self-play with no outside information, right. it is able to learn yeah. and become extremely good at, um, at the game. Right. Um, and like you said, the most recent version can do this in just a few hours <laughs> to learn to become Grandmaster level. Yeah, well, I think that was an excellent description, and I think what's so remarkable about this is that it's really going through the same sort of sequence and process a human would, mm -hmm. but it's at hyperspeed. Exactly. And so, so I think that gives an indication of the power of AI. Now, for people listening, people might be like, well, that's a nice parlor trick. You can, AI can beat humans at games. But, but what are the implications? In fact, we know the implications are far greater just outside of games itself. And some mm -hmm. people might be able to extrapolate. But what are some of the applications for AI now as well as in the future? Let's start now. How is AI beginning to transform industries? Uh, and, and then we'll begin to portend where it's taking <laughs> us. But, but right now, yeah. outside of chess and Go, what are some of the applications? Well, it's, it's really sort of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right, in um, ways that we might not even be aware of. Exactly. Um, especially if you spend any amount of time on the internet, yeah. you have certainly encountered um, machine learning, artificial intelligences right. um, that are affecting your daily, um, daily routine. Right. They affect you every day. Um, any, any, if you visit any of these websites, including Amazon, Google, Apple, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, yeah. Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Netflix, Netflix, all of these web services rely heavily on machine learning. Right. Now, in what way? Yeah. Because we don't see big Terminator yeah, <laughs> Netflix right. robots smashing things. <laughs> Thank goodness. At least <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> Maybe in the movies. <laughs> right. But um, what, what's going on is that these companies have realized that, well, let, let's, look, let's look at Google. Yeah. So Google is one of the most prominent users of artificial intelligence. Um, their mo model for the consumer is you type in something into the search bar and you want 10 results, Yeah. right? With trillions of web pages, how are they going to choose the top 10? Yeah. Are they going to have a human do it? No. Yeah. Um, so in the past, what they have done is, uh, by the number of connections between things, they rank how important they are and present you that. Mm -hmm. But more recently, what's going on is they are utilizing artificial intelligence and machine learning to predict what you will want to read right. and then provide that to you. Exactly. Um, which is uh, scarily accurate many yeah. times. And that's why you might often search for one thing because you're interested in houses yeah. or cars or, I don't know, kid. kid cooking utensils yeah. and then suddenly you're seeing a lot more of those same things suggested to you. 
and I'm sure most people have noticed this, that based upon one's search results, all of a sudden there can be corresponding advertising in your inbox or wherever else you might go mm -hmm. that is trying to reflect back to you what it thinks you want based upon your previous queries, Right. which is fascinating. And, and something else that I think is really interesting, too, uh, that you alluded to with Netflix, is my understanding is they've developed some artificial intelligence based upon you know, being able to look at all the data, you know, what are people watching? Mm -hmm. are, are they watching entire movies, just part of movies, crunch that big data, and then develop, here's the kind of shows and movies people want. And in fact, I think Netflix now becoming a production company has basically produced shows and content based upon this uh, artificial intelligence, reading what people are actually um, watching and what it is they want to see. Is that, is that, is that accurate? That's very possible. Um, yeah, my so, so it's not so in the past you'd have particular studios and humans that would determine here's what people want and how you actually have this machine learning that might even have a more accurate sense right. of what people are actually wanting to watch, which is which is pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the, and I, w I want to go back to the advertising thing right. because that's really important. Um, the, those are what are called targeted ads. Yeah. And those are pervasive on the internet, right? That you see them everywhere on web pages in your inbox. Yeah. Um, and what what those what those are, how it happens is Google collects data on you. Yeah. And Amazon and all these companies and they can sell that information to advertisers in the form of in the form of this. They say, "Okay, we you pay us a premium for your ads." but we'll only show them to people that we think will actually buy your product. Yeah. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that they use the, this machine learning software to not quite develop a profile on you, but yeah. based on your recent history, they, have, they predict what it is that you might be more inclined to buy. Right. And they, and they base that information on the previous couplings of people's search history and purchase data. Right. And so by using all of that data together, they can then predict fairly accurately what it is that you might be inclined to buy in the future. Yeah. Um, and this is the, the entire business model of Google. Um, it's part of Amazon's um, model, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, many of these yeah. especially free-to-play companies right yeah. where there's no initial investment on the part of the user yeah it, you're not you're paying for with something you're paying with your data right and that data it's not being processed by any humans usually sometimes it is but um it's being processed by these machine learning algorithms that are taking in all the vast data points yeah and spitting out the prediction absolutely it just immediately made me think of uh a Minority Report, which was originally a story by Philip K. Dick turned into a movie that Tom Cruise was in. And uh, I just remember this part, you know, it takes place in the not-too-distant future where you talk about targeted ads on a computer or on a particular device. In this case, they had billboards that we might see that can recognize through some sort of biometrics. And then everyone's seeing the corresponding product or service 
that is really um, most targeted towards them wow. in public spaces. <laughs> so again, you know, a bit of interesting science fiction, and yet uh, the path that you're uh, articulating, it seems like it's not that far away, especially right. with sensors and biometrics, you know, here and really around the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, where is that going to penetrate a public space as well? A little bit more targeted. Yeah, uh, facial recognition. We, yeah, exactly. Biometric. Um, uh, recent AIs have gotten extra extraordinarily good at um, detecting faces, detecting gait, which is like your walking yeah. pattern, detecting and all, with all these metrics to determine who is this person. Right. Um, so in a, in, at least in a controlled lab setting, we have been able to determine like scarily accurate information about people. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, based on uh, very minimal amounts of data. Right. So, yeah, and and so when we think about applications, some of the current ones, what what are some of the trends, and what is I mean, what do you anticipate? What do some of the researchers anticipate? Say in the next five to ten years, what can we think about how AI might uh, continue to transform the economy, politics, uh, our own search habits, uh, etc. Yeah, um, definitely the convenience economy uh, will continue to develop, right? Uh, Google's algorithms will only get better at predicting what it is that uh, they you want to buy right. or you want to see. Uh, algorithms that uh, take in like any any kind of big data yeah. is going to be using artificial intelligence to determine how we go about our lives. Right, and you know, it's, and that's actually a, a perfect uh, segue to looking at self-driving vehicles because mm -hmm. uh, you know, taking in all this data in this particular case, humans when are driving down are receiving a lot of data information about the weather, road conditions, mm -hmm. oncoming traffic, pedestrians. And yet we know that we're pretty flawed when it comes to being able to, to make those kind of decisions. And already there are self-driving cars that are out there that have been around the Bay Area for over 10 years, I think, through Google and other companies, really in a prototype form. There's been, I think, a few places where they've actually rolled out self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems it's been more of a concern about getting people to kind of buy into this because, again, it's so foreign, the idea that a machine is actually driving you around. I know Sebastian Thrun, who was, uh, I think, an AI researcher at Stanford, founded his own kind of university, and he was, I think, motivated because he had a friend, he was from Germany originally, that was killed in an automobile accident, as many people are. So he was very motivated to say, how do we sort of transcend human error? Right. Uh, and judgment. And, and it seems that already the data that's in is that cars, even in their current iteration, with this program and software um, are way safer. <laughs> and I think the implications of that are pretty staggering because you think about not just, okay, I'm going to hop in my AI sort of car and it's going to take me where I want to go, but think about all the people in the, in the transportation sector that might not have jobs anymore. So I right. think just as if all of a sudden the best alpha going and chess players are no longer humans, mm -hmm. if you extrapolate that in other industries, what, you know, clearly when AI is developed, um, it's going to exceed human capacity. And so what's the need for human to be a truck driver or a taxi driver if mm -hmm. AI can do it actually cheaper right. um, and actually more effectively? Um, and so I think the implications when everything becomes increasingly automated 
what do humans do? So I think that's something, again, being an educator, uh, I'm very interested in, but I think it's something we should all be a little bit more attuned to is what is it that we can offer that computers can't? Right. At this particular point. Um, that, and, that's and, certainly a big issue, right? Right. The progression of technology um, always presents us with the fear of like what will happen to our jobs, yeah. what will happen to us humans, what, what, will, what will we do in the future when we have nothing right. to do, right. which I, I believe is far off, personally, sure. um, because while self-driving cars, driving a track across, across the country doesn't require all that much input, right? And mm -hmm. You just imagine someone sitting behind the wheel, yeah. sort of dozing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not dozing. But um but I mean then you have to think about the small things, right? Yeah. A truck driver filling up gas. Right. Or um putting uh chains on the tires or there's some a small problem yeah. with the with the machine. And until trucks become robust enough yeah. to not require that maintenance, we will still see truck drivers and uh, taxi oh, cabs. Yeah. I some of them could could very well be replaced, but the vast majority still have a long way to go in that. Yeah, case. and I know there's, and this is what's so fascinating about the field, is you have experts that disagree. As, as in any industry or field, uh, there's going to be disagreement. Uh, this idea of superintelligence, when will there be a specific kind of AI that exceeds general human intelligence? Some people say it's years or decades or hundreds of years or we may never reach it. Um, the idea is that, but it doesn't therefore mean we shouldn't be able to anticipate, well, what happens if it arrives sooner than we think? Mm -hmm. And I think the implications are quite staggering. And, and just as you were saying, I mean, maybe even if not every aspect of, say, trucking can be automated or something that's done by AI, what if half of it can? What if all of a sudden you just need someone putting on the chains or pumping the gas? Right. Um, or maybe just create new infrastructure that enables, you know, because right now it's designed how the affordances are for human machine interaction. Mm -hmm. um, but if the, the humans can be eclipsed, uh, then that's a question. One of the things that I think is interesting, and we might even be past this as far as chess and go, uh, this guy Clive Thompson, who is a writer for Wired Magazine, I still think he has he wrote a book called Smarter Than You Think. And what I really liked about it, he was talking about you know, technology, and he was looking at uh, Kasparov Deep Blue, and he mm -hmm. was saying that right after Kasparov lost, he had this idea, let's have a chess tournament where anyone or anything can play. It can be, you can be a human, you can be a computer, you can have a human uh, computer combination. Mm -hmm. And what he noticed that uh, the, the team that won was not actually, and this was, there's probably been a bit of time since then, so it could have changed, but it wasn't Deep Blue. It was the human computer combination that actually won. And it wasn't a grand champion. It was basically people quite familiar with chess software. So mm -hmm. they enabled the software to do this brute calculation. But then there's this element of creativity, being able to sort of read the board in a human kind of way. And that combination actually uh, was preferable. So I right. think if there is a hope, it's going, there are clearly things at this stage that humans can do better. Communication, that social emotional intelligence, exactly. creativity, those are things at this point uh, computers have not been able to convey mm -hmm. that they have a superior approach. Doesn't mean at some point there might not be. So I think that 
if there is hope, it's that, hey, there are elements about being human that are quite unique and complementary to, but if we're going to try to just uh, do brute force calculation, then it's probably safe to say that we're not going to win that race. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, the, the image that I like to, to give is how a, a computer, supercomputer simulating the human brain can make one second of brain activity in about uh, a week. Yeah. Right? One second in a week of calculation. And it would take all of humanity working together with pencil and paper to calculate the same thing that uh, the GPU in my laptop does. Yeah. Right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so the, we're just not built the same way. Yeah. Right? Our architectures are completely different. Yeah. And we've been sort of progressing towards uh, computers being more human-like and humans being more computer-like. But as as computers get better and better at um, these more human-oriented tasks that we have traditionally right. thought like driving or all these things, um, we're going to have to go back to what really makes us human. Exactly. Right? And that emotional connection between people, that interaction... Yeah. Right. All all these things that that really make us human, that really make us unique. Right. Are are what we'll have to focus on. Indeed. I mean, one of the things, another example that uh, that I like, most people think, okay, we're talking about truck driving uh, or blue collar work, factory work. A lot of that has been automated. If anyone's seen pictures or video of the Tesla. Uh, factory. It's virtually robotic, right. um, you know, which is quite interesting. And that's and they're not alone in that particular regard. However, it's not just blue collar. One of the things that I find compelling is already in the in the field of law. There's mm -hmm. a process called discovery where lawyers, when they're learning about a case, are getting all the documentation they can. And sometimes there's teams of lawyers that are reading tens or hundreds of thousands of pages on that particular case. Now software can do that for a fraction of the price faster and it's more accurate. Yep. It doesn't mean the profession of law is gone, but that part of law is can be automated. And I think what's really interesting, the same thing can be said for medicine um, or any of these kind of highly prestigious... Right. Diagnostic. Um, yeah, exactly. So again, it doesn't therefore mean that all of this will be automated, but there's going to be what aspects of work are most procedural and algorithmic. Those will likely be the ones, or those aspects of work will be the ones likely done better exactly. by AI. And so I think all of us can probably think about what are those parts of our lives and work uh, that, that has that very procedural part to it. Right. All, um, all the algorithmic sort of mindless right. uh, repetition-based uh, activities yeah. that we do in work or in life will be more and more right. being able to autom be automated with AI, with technology right. as it progresses in the next coming years. Yeah, and if one is being, I guess, optimistic uh, along those lines, then hey, who, who wouldn't want to be liberated from drudgery uh, in, a, in a particular kind of way? Right. Uh, so that's a positive thing. At the same time, if there's not also the corresponding uh, kind of training to help people go, well, what next? And this is something that I know Andrew Yang, a Democratic candidate uh, for president, who's an entrepreneur, uh, technologist, his whole platform is looking at automation, mm -hmm. um, what, how it currently is displaced work, um, and where it's coming. And, he, and his whole idea 
is that we really need to have what is some sort of universal basic income as a way of transitioning uh, from this hyper-automated society where certain people aren't going to be required to do their, their kinds of jobs. And even someone like Ray Kurzweil, who is, I think, one of the chief researchers of uh, you know, machine learning at Google, um, you know, he's, he feels, and again, who really knows, but he's pretty accurate. In some of, back in the, the 90s, he made a lot of predictions around uh, the exponential growth curve of technology, and I think like he has an 80-plus percent accuracy rate. <laughs> and he's predicting that with this increasing automation, that universal basic income will be rolled out in 10 years approximately because because of that now whether or not that's the case it's an interesting prediction and he feels at that point the economy and education will all become about meaning and purpose it won't just be you have to have a job in order to to make ends meet a lot of the basics will be covered by these automations now that's on one hand it sounds positive and hopeful which is why I think this conversation is so important, because there is a debate you know, around right. it, and we all need to be informed uh, to the best um, of, of our ability. So there's the hopeful idea that maybe we can be liberated from some of the more menial tasks and have more time and space for creativity. Obviously, that might be perceived as optimistic. And then there's people that uh, go to the other side looking at AI as an existential threat. And we were talking about this before we hit record. I don't know if it was a year or two years ago, Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk and mm -hmm. Bill Gates and a, and a number of other scientific and tech luminaries wrote this letter public letter saying we need to put a moratorium on certain kinds of AI research, especially weaponized AI research, because it really could be this existential okay. threat. Yeah. And so, so let me just lay down what they say, and then I want to get your response on whether you think that, you know, to what degree we need to be concerned about it. But the idea is that if there is AI that reaches this general level intelligence of a human or exceeds it, at that point, it will begin to grow so exponentially, we won't be able to control it anymore. And all of a sudden, the aims of that AI might be self-preservation, cognitive enhancement in ways that while it might not be Terminator, it, its goals might have nothing, uh, it, it might, its goals might not be to wipe out the human race, but its particular goals might be something that aren't advantageous to us, well, you know, without it being deliberately malicious. Of course. Um, so the yes. whole AI control problem is something that certain people think is important. What is your thought about this more apocalyptic um, version of, of AI? Is it something you think is a real serious issue? Okay, well, um, there was a lot in there. Yeah, so, no, right. so yeah. I, that, the, you, you sort of looped two sort of broad topics yeah. into, into one. Um, not, not, not to fault you. Um, so on the one hand, you, as you just mentioned, we have the, the AI safety problem, yeah. right? Of as general intelligence... Uh, as super general intelligence um, gets yeah. more and more advanced, right, into the super level, how can we ensure that our aims are aligned? Right. Um, and the other problem of automation and uh, the, the uh, ec n no longer needing humans, right? Yeah. That, that's the other issue. Sure. So we have, we have two issues. So addressing the first one, uh, will we know? Will humans be unnecessary? Yeah. Um, I don't think so, but it <laughs> 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 uh, is my answer. Mic drop. So, will will humans be obsolete 
no. Yeah. Um, however, uh, many, like we were just talking about, yeah. many, many of the more menial jobs will be overtaken um, right. by automation. Um, even in outside of blue collar work, white collar work, law, yeah. um, uh, medical, all like, all these fields where in the lesser um, or less complex, yeah. I guess you could call it, portions of these complex fields are being overtaken by AI. But that's not to say, for example, nursing. Yeah. Nursing is here to stay for a while. Sure. Um, because that requires that human-human interaction. Right. Um, and so I think finding those more human-based jobs, as our economy yeah. already is moving more in that direction. For sure. Right. If we look at the California or Bay Area economy, right. m- most of it is service-based. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a service economy, um, especially with Silicon Valley right next door. Right. right? Um, there's very little um, physical work being done. I guess you could say. Um, and and I think more of that will be explored as um, automation gets rid of the necessity of menial labor. Right. However, um, it is certainly um, a pressing issue of what, what will we do as, um, as we progress farther and farther with this automation. Right. Um, will there come a time when maybe 30% of the population can't work right. because there either there aren't enough jobs or the jobs are too complex for, um, for 30% of the population yeah. or 50%, right? We don't know. Right. Um, yeah. One, one of the most terrifying statistics that I ever heard was that the U S military, uh, doesn't accept, uh, people, who have an IQ less than 83. Mm. So that's 10% of the population. And the U.S. military is starved for people, right? They want yeah. every person they can get. Right. And to exclude 10% of the population yeah. must mean that there is not. they have determined scientifically, because they've done a lot of research into, AI, into IQ, Yeah. they have determined that there's nothing positive, that net po- no net positive that anyone with an IQ less than 83 could contribute. Yeah. And as our society gets more and more complex, yeah. that num- that threshold will just continue to rise. Yeah, that's a good it's a good point. Right? And not not to say that that there will be a law saying mm-hmm. that no one can work, but just as the the jobs available get more and more complex, uh, people could very easily be pushed out of the of the job market just All right. for that. I and guess another another counterpoint to, to that is that IQ has actually risen uh, over time too, which is kind of an interesting thing. And and there's an idea that well, have people become more intelligent than people hundred years ago? And I think uh, what people are interpreting is no probably not it's just that society's become more complex and mm-hmm. as you're ensconced and conditioned by that society naturally we're very adaptive and responsive to that so hopefully there'll be that kind of responsiveness by humans being born and educated within uh, right. this this totally 
re reconfigured world. But I think you bring up a really good point. Now, as far as getting, so I think you're addressing, uh, you know, that, that first part, looking at automation and what we can do to be adaptive so that humans aren't left behind. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think what you were saying, which I just giving a good footnote to that, it seems that we can't just wait for governments and institutions to sort of usher us through this process, we also have to take a bit of responsibility ourselves Exactly. saying, hey, what are those human-centered jobs or those human-centered facets of jobs that really might distinguish us? Uh, and so even if you're going into computer science or engineering, also making sure that you have good communication skills. I just heard recently that a lot of people really value people that studied English because they're going to have... Uh, really good communication skills, written, oral, etc. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of people um, seem to uh, be lacking. And so that's something everyone can work on in some, some sort of capacity. Uh, now, getting to the existential threat, because one, <laughs> uh, obviously... Getting to the existential getting threat. Getting to that existential back, threat. Back to that. Back to that. <laughs> well, and, and this is why it's, I think, important, because naturally, uh, many people, if they've encountered the whole AI existential threat, is generally through Hollywood. You know, back in 2001, Stanley Kubrick... Uh, based on the Arthur C. Clarke novel, mm -hmm. uh, people saw HAL, you know, this computer that ultimately uh, can't be controlled. Uh, Terminator, uh, you know, I grew up with Terminator, so, right. so that's something. And then you even look at shows like Westworld. Um, and, but that's not really the concern, I think, of people that are positing AI as a potential existential threat. So Hollywood right. is skewed what the issue is. What is the concern if there were to be an existential threat with AI? Like, what would that look like? Well, it's not Terminator. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> which is good, I guess. <laughs> um, ter Terminator's not coming. Um, uh, it's going to... It's not going to be how... It'll look more like how. Yeah. Um, because what, what really the issue is, is aligning our aims as humanity with the aims of a hypothetical superintelligence. Right. That, that's really the goal here. Um, and w there are some demonstrations of how, why that might be a problem. For example, um, if we, let's say we had a hypothetical superintelligence that uh, we wanted to make paper clips. Yeah. Right? So oh, yeah. we're a paper clip company. We want paper clips. We ask our computer, what is the best way to, or, not the best way. Please yeah. use the best way to make the most paper clips. Yeah. So the computer says, okay, I'm going to get some metal and make some paper clips. But then it gets a little bit more intelligent because it realizes that it could figure out a better way if it was more intelligent. And it thinks, well, if I uh, bought the factory to make the paper clips, then I could make more paper clips. If I uh, took over the entire metal industry, funneling all the metal into yeah. the paperclip factory, I could make more paperclips. Um, if I mined the core of the earth for metal, I could make more paperclips. Oh, humans, they have iron in their blood. Maybe I should harvest them to make right. more paperclips. Right. And so it's, it's this concern about the laser focus yeah. that AI can have. Right. Um, and sort of and avoiding... That because the, the the issue is both in AI's interpretation of our advice and right. what are giving the instruction, right? Because yeah. we we failed to specify 
don't kill humans right. when you're making play paper clips, right? right. We, we, it's so outside of the box yeah. of our thinking that we wouldn't even consider it a possibility. But yeah. it is precisely those sorts of things that we have to consider. Right. Um, the, but the, the issue with, with doing something like that, say don't kill humans, well, then there's nothing about don't kill dogs. Yeah. Um, but then, then you might say don't kill anything, and then the computer might freeze because what if yeah. it kills a bug? What if it kills an ant? Right. So, but if it kills all the ants, right. then we care. If it killed one ant, we don't care as much. Yeah. So, incorporating all of these things that we just naturally understand into the 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 intel the intelligence's mind into right. into their psyche is an incredibly difficult problem. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> that, that, that's really what um, the Stephen Hawking and yeah. Elon Musk are worried about. Um, they're worried that the progress of AI will steamroll past that step, that crucial yeah. step of determining how are we I going control. to be able to align our aims with that of the AI. Yeah. I thought that was a great example with paper clips, something that seems so benign. Yeah, we want to improve productivity, efficiency. Yeah, so let's unleash the AI to figure out in a more important way. And, and I think exactly what you said, it's not attempting in that example to be malicious towards humans. It's just in that very laser-focused way, thinking and continuing to improve upon the best way. And, exactly. and, and, and the best way might actually not be in our best interest. <laughs> and so I, I think, and again, especially when we're dealing with something that's hard to conceive of, something more intelligent than us, and maybe even exponentially more intelligent than us, right. um, it's almost like looking at ants versus humans in a particular mm -hmm. way. And I think that, um, you know, some of us, not all of us, you know, maybe deliberately don't try to kill ants. In fact, we might try to move them outside or do something thoughtful. But then if we're making a road or uh, creating a whole new building, then we're not so much thinking about the kind of disruption we're making. We're not deliberately trying to you know, mess with wildlife in that right. process, but inevitably there's casualties. It's mm -hmm. not our goal. And so in the same sort of way, it seems that those are some of the concerns. Um, yeah. And it presents a problem also in trying to solve it, the problem if it's difficult to even conceptualize yeah. what it will do. Right. Right. Exactly. How it will act. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so exactly. Um, it's, it's a, it's a vital issue. Luckily we have, a few companies, research institutions yeah. that are looking into this AI safety problem. Um, and there have been numerous summits and um, at meetings of experts about how we can design AI, how can we work on uh, designing our architectures right. or methods to control AI to make it more aligned with our intentions and what we want it to act right. like. Exactly. So we're we're working on it. It's it's a yeah. it's a big issue though. It's a work in Definitely. progress. Definitely work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <clears throat> Is there anything else about artificial intelligence? that we haven't covered. And obviously there's a lot we haven't covered. This is an intro conversation, but as I'm looking, running out of time uh, here, is there anything else that you want to touch upon or anything that people should be aware of uh, just as a general intelligent uh, citizen that is, it should be incumbent upon all of us to just be mindful of about AI? Yeah, I think it's 
it's important to remember that um, it's it's everywhere in our lives on the internet and it, but it's also not magic it's yeah. it's not this this um, ethereal thing humans yeah. do design it yeah. um, humans do make it, um, it but it's also very difficult for humans to control simultaneously right. and just to keep that cognizant in their mind um, that it, this is a very new field we've only had our machine right. learning for less than 10 years right and so we'll we're definitely in the early stages of development in this right. process yeah and another way that i think people might really get a sense of how vital and important this is and we're in the embryonic stages of this development just looking back to basic computing um you know Moore's law the number of uh, transistors on an integrated circuit how it was sort of doubling every roughly 18 months and that allows our devices and our pockets to have more computing power than the whole North American Defense Command had in the late 60s the amount of people even in the industry at the time that thought we would have the kind of seemingly magic in our pockets was minuscule right and so most people like Luke and even someone like Steve Jobs in the early 80s with with the Macs it's like the idea of desktop computing, most people didn't see that in the industry, never mind the actual public, and now it's a part of our day-to-day -day lives. It's an indispensable part mm -hmm. um, of, of cognition, of memory, just, <laughs> you know, for many of us, just as we go about our day-to-day. -day. So I think that's a good example in a seemingly blink. All of a sudden, many of us that grew up without the internet and computing now, it's, it, we can never imagine life without it. Right. Um, today, and so I think we're at a. It, it, I think it's a similar way of looking at uh, AI. We're at the embryonic stage, and there's probably going to be something not only as transformative, potentially even more transformative, uh, coming down the pike. So, yeah. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and any final words or thoughts? Um. No. Just just that um, I might add. Papers and research is happening as yeah. we speak. Every week, there are multiple new uh, papers coming out about AI research and right. developments. And this is, like you said, very embryonic, very ex uh, quickly growing in scope and in uh, subject. So we'll, we'll see where it takes us. We, yeah, we shall see. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's enjoy the ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Van. Well, thank you so much. This has been a very illuminating conversation. Thank you. This is wonderful. Excellent.